God bless these gifts. If you would turn in your Bible, please, to the book of Joel, Joel chapter 1. And all the times that we have spoken together about uh, different types of fasts and particularly this aspect of how God uses sackcloth in his scripture. Um, I don't recall the Lord ever asking us to consider what we're going to share today. And uh, I believe that in some ways he's not only going to use it for this current moment, but he's going to allow you to be expanded in how God utilizes you. And um, I, I'm grateful for that. I see a lot of that recently over this past year or so, how that God is expanding upon the things that he's shown us and um, ways that his spirit is uh, deliberating within us concerning how those truths can be taken to the next step, the next level. And so um, I'm, I'm very, very grateful for this. Now, for those of you who have been um, hidden away somewhere and maybe you're watching this broadcast and you have no idea what we are talking about regarding sackcloth, um, just a thumbnail sketch of what that means in the scripture is that it is usually something that people would put on uh, either of goat's hair or, or of camel, but it was it was dark, dark coloring. And um, it was done as a point of repentance. It was done as a point of recognizing that um, where the, per the people are is not where God wants. And so to some degree it could be mourning, but the predominant understanding of it is a repentance and a welcoming of the light of the Lord, a welcoming of God's not only forgiveness, but his restoration. And I, I certainly uh, am in agreement with what Brother Les just brought, um, that one of the, the facets of this sackcloth time before the Lord would be for us to see the unlocking of what God has intended to do, things that God had begun perhaps, but then uh, the enemies found ways to fill those in and block them off. Um, we, we recognize that we need the Lord. And so many, many times in the Old Testament, and then there was even reference to certain degrees in the New Testament, um, God would employ his people, God would employ his kings, God would employ those to whom the message was being brought to, to adorn themselves in uh, an, a physical representation of repentance, to take things out of darkness back into light. And that is what we mean by sackcloth. <clears throat> so, We've done a number of different things this week regarding sackcloth in our prayer, asking God to um, break through on behalf of the mission that he's given to us as saints. Um, God knows our nation, and the nations of this world have been um, brought into darkness and gross darkness. Uh, 
I, I think that it is to some large degree exasperating for us to recognize how, how deeply and um, really expansively darkness has gripped society. Um, I, I remember just a few years ago hearing things spoken in political debates that I was astounded by, and I, I remember saying, Lord, where is this coming from? You know, who are these people? What, what is this that we're hearing, just not just said in a corner, but something that is just being a mainstream type of belief? And um, I think that it, it was simply an indication of what's real-time going on in our world. And so we are a people, a saints group, that have been called to represent God in these times of the end. And uh, that's what the scripture bears out. But um, uh, that, that business of, I don't know what I thought darkness and gross darkness was actually going to look like. I don't think we've seen it all yet. I, don't, I think there's a lot more grossness coming. But this call to um, a sackcloth type of prophetic act before the Lord I believe is something that he is using and is going to use to awaken uh, the light that he has ordained for this time and to welcome it into uh, a point of, of action and, and this, is, this is really what we need, you know, because that gross darkness in the darkness, the Bible says, my light will shine upon you. And there are other passages that speak about the light shines out of the darkness. And, you know, John wrote about how when Jesus came as the light, the darkness comprehended it not. Uh, that means more than just not being able to understand it or not having a proclivity to grasp the truth of it. Certainly there's a lot of that around today. But comprehend is, is a measure of trying to overcome. And, you know, we say apprehended. This, this man was apprehended because he did this and this and this and uh, but comprehended stems from the same root and it it really means you know if we say we comprehend a, a, an idea that means that we just don't understand it but we also have a working knowledge of it now it becomes something that serves us and so the darkness was not able to contradict or counteract the light through Jesus and neither will it do so in us. And so, to the topic of today, and this is going to be an understanding of sorts, but it's also going to be an operative thing for us as a, uh, I don't want to say a final, but uh, a conclusion of this week of, of sackcloth before the Lord. And I, I, as I said, it's something that I've never felt the Lord ask us to do, um, but I do believe that it's something that not only is he going to use, but he's going to be triggering something within you that he put in you from the foundation of the world, and your participation to this is not only in obedience, and not only is God going to use it for, for now, but he's going to awaken parts of who he made you to be that maybe have not been functioning uh, to this point in God's timetable. So Joel 1.13. 
Gird yourselves and lament, you priests. Howl, you ministers of the altar. Come lie all night in sackcloth, you ministers of my God. For the meat offering and the drink offering is withholden from the house of your God. And then Joel goes on to say, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly. We talked about what that meant, uh, I believe, in our last seminar. And I believe that this one is also a, a type of a solemn assembly before the Lord. That's a time of new beginnings uh, on the heels of, of something that he had ordained. Remember, the solemn assembly was the eighth day after a, um, a feast and it, it spoke of a new beginning. It, it wasn't just an add-on. It was something that really triggered a, a going forth. And um, Joel then goes through a lot of descriptions of the way that evil has, um, at that point, had captivated the people. And uh, you see a lot of descriptions of that. And then God talking to his people about what they need to do to defeat that. And then you finally comes into the prophecy in Joel 2 about the outpouring of the Spirit and the mighty men and all of those wonderful things. We like to talk as Pentecostals about Joel 2 and Acts 2, but we often don't look at what happened preceding that and what led up to that and what was the culmination of that visitation in Joel 2. But there, there's a lot of darkness. There's a lot of evil. There's a lot of wickedness. And there's a lot of appeal for the people of God to, to call upon him, to recognize where they are and the depravity of the nation around. That's the setting upon which revival of God's purpose is known. Now here in this passage, it says that there is a lying all night in sackcloth. We're going to talk about what that means. And we're going to review some other passages where this terminology is used in the New Testament. And I think you may really be uh, surprised and delighted at um, how God uses that. Now, you, you've already guessed that I'm going to put this before you. And if there's some way tonight when you go to bed that you can... Commit yourself to the service of the Lord in the night, however he wants you to do. You don't have to wake, stay awake all night howling. Um, and so, Trish, that's good news for you because Mark is on a roll, and he, he'd be a howler tonight. So you just need to remind him that don't blame me if he does it. Um, and that may call him at 3 in the morning, and they may howl together for a little bit, but that's not coming from me. So... Blame it on Pastor Larry. Um, but, but I do believe that the Lord would, would ask if you have some type of a, maybe, I, I don't know, something that you can wear that would be sackclothy that won't keep you up all night. Uh, and we'll see what this means. It's not just a watch night type of a thing. What does it mean to, um, to lie all night? And so we want to look at two passages of Scripture that, use this same term. And this is uh, a term, lun, which, which really does mean initially to be all night uh, dwelling in a, in a place or in a thing. And interestingly, this word is also used to speak about griping, 
speak about complaining. It's, it's not the, the normal murmuring word, but it's something that people might do uh, in an occupying type of a thing where they just, you know, I was awake all night. I just couldn't go to sleep. I was just so angry. You know, that kind of thing. And, but, but the main idea of it is to invest yourself in the Lord or to, to make yourself available to him through the night. So the first passage we want to look at, and we'll just look at two of them. There are others that you can look at, is Genesis 28. And um, this is a famous passage. It is when Jacob had uh, gained the birthright from Esau initially. And uh, his mama said, boy, you better get out of here. Your brother's coming after you. That's, that's a Texan paraphrase. Somebody ought to work on a, a, a Texan Bible. Uh, maybe Nathan and Ken can get together on that and put something together for us. Um, but Jacob leaves and he comes to Luz, which is to be Bethel. And he, uh, he goes to sleep. So Genesis 28, verse 10, we'll read these um, four verses here. Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night. There's our word, tarried there all night, because the sun was set, and he took the stones of that place and put them for his pillows. I've used some pillows like that in some of our ministry engagements. Um, I don't know why they even call them pillows. They should just call them bricks. And lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac. The land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. Now, the first thing we want to consider with this is that um, Jacob, you know, he was in trouble here. Now, God was going to protect him, but at that point, he was still Jacob, and the jury's still out on when he stopped being Jacob, but um, his brother was after him, or, or at least there was a very real possibility of that. This was not a pleasant time. This was not like the coronation of King Charles III, where everybody is just blowing trumpets and saying, God save the king. You know, nobody was yelling, God save the birthright. You know, the older brother, who was a skilled guy, who was a hairy guy, who was used to fighting and killing things, didn't like the fact that his brother had schnookered him, even though he was a full participant in it. And so this was a challenging moment, and we have to see this. So Jacob comes to this holy place, and he tarried there all night. That's our word. Now, he went to sleep. I don't think he was expecting any spiritual dynamics, but God used that night in some very powerful ways. And we've been blessed to be able to teach on this from a number of different angles. And we've learned about building that place of Elohim upon which the ladder of the angels of Elohim would go up and then Yahweh would be looking down from above. And this is the way God establishes his presence on the earth 
and welcomes his plan. We've studied that in, in a number of ways. But Jacob was not anticipating any of that. He was in a challenging point. And I, I would imagine, even though this is not really personified here in this passage, that he probably chose a place that was a little discreet. He probably thought, well, I'm just not going to lie out here beside the road because my brother, I want to make it easy on him if he comes after me. He probably chose a place that would be more secluded. I would think he would. I mean, you don't, you don't become the supplanter or the one that knows about deception without using a little type of camouflage. Um, but I think he probably thought, you know, I'm going to have to rest somewhere and I want to be off the beaten path. I think that's probably what his idea was. And you could tell he really didn't, he got out of there in a hurry. I mean, if you're having to use bricks for pillows, that means that mama didn't send you with your backpack full of supplies. And, um, you know, he didn't have a purse that had everything in it around. Um, but so he's using bricks for pillows. So this was really a Spartan type of existence. And in the midst of that, that atmosphere of necessity, he tarries before the Lord all night. And God opens this amazing encounter with him that is really a combination of a number of things. It was a teaching tool for him. It's a teaching tool for us. But it was also an invitation of what God wanted to do through him. And of course, you, you remember that God would bring him back to this place again, and there would be another very dynamic episode throughout the night. And so, you know, Jacob could have been there griping and complaining through the night. Um, he could have been voicing his fears. He could have been voicing all kinds of things that would readily been a reaction to his circumstance. But instead, he went to sleep. And he laid down in that place. And he, God initiated uh, the dreams of purpose, but not just dreams of purpose, dreams of the kingdom reality. And But the point is that this same word well, that, uh, that Joel would eventually use to describe donning sackcloth and lying all night in it would indicate that, you know, in the midst of a challenging moment, which Joel was in and here Jacob was in, the, the people would obey God in a sackcloth point of, of um, adornment and they would present themselves for the night and God would not only use it, but God would activate certain measures of what was needed for that moment and for the days to come. And I, I believe that that's something we need to see here. And in fact, you will find if you so choose to look at this word, um, that there's, there's always that measure where you could be doing something else instead of waiting on the Lord. You could be complaining instead of proclaiming. You could be really distraught instead of confident. And, um, and in fact, the meaning of the word is such that uh, it's either going to be complaint or it's going to be expectancy. And that's really where we are right now. 
And so the only other passage we want to look at, and I said there are, there are many of them, is one of the most famous passages in all of the Bible from Psalm chapter 91. Psalm 91, just verse 1, is the one we need to look at. Now, first thing about this is that you will, you will not see that there is a, an author's preface here. You know, sometimes in the Psalms it'll say, just like in Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God, uh, is Psalm 90, verse right before it. And some of these... Uh, uh, were written by uh, people that you don't really know anything about. Uh, many of them were written by David. There were those stare ones that were written by a king. Um, but, you know, the, the, the debate has been over the centuries as to who actually authored this. Some say one thing. Some say it was David. Some say it was some other prophet that was... Um, off the scope of the radar. Now, the, the, uh, the Hebrew scholars of the intertestamental period attributed this to Moses, and they said that this was written by Moses when the, the Mosaic tabernacle was completed. And I don't have any reason to doubt that. It sounds good to me. And if you, if you think that, it really does shine a light on what is said throughout this really powerful psalm about what the people in their wanderings and what that tabernacle would encounter. But the point is um, that this is another one of our all-night type of uh, expressions, and it is set at a a time if it truly was Moses that wrote this if it truly was when the tabernacle was established it was on the verge of them going into un, unfamiliar territory so again you could quote this he that dwelleth in the secret place of the most high shall abide under the shadow of the almighty there's our word again and um it's, it's a point of confidence. It goes on, I will say of Yahweh, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In Him will I trust. And it says, He'll deliver me from the snare of the fowler, from the noisome pestilence. And it goes on. It, it speaks regularly of things that might be encountered that are challenging. But the point is, is that we are abiding under the shadow of the Almighty. And this is this is our word and if you it begins this way and and as you read through that that passage you'll find opportunity to either gripe and complain or to believe that the Lord's covering is upon you and you are you are dwelling with him in his purpose which is what the night and what dreams represent and um, and you know, it, 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 even though it doesn't use this, you know, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Uh, that kind of thing is, is ours. And um, so to lie in sackcloth all night does not, the onus of that 
is that you're in a point where things could go wrong in the natural. In fact, some of the visions of the natural would be that they are going to go wrong or they have been going wrong. Or you can dwell with the Lord and commit yourself to Him and believe that He is not only going to be your deliverer and your protector and your provider, but that He will be awakening points of confidence and points of empowerment and points of victory for you. Just in the three passages that we saw where this word is used. In Genesis, my goodness, how, how do you really top the encounter that, jo that, that uh, Jacob had with God? And the, the viewpoint of what, what was seen with the angelic in the heavens um, that was Joel's tarrying. That was Jacob's tarrying all night. For Joel, the nation was in really dire straits. And you have invitations for the priests and the elders to be wearing sackcloth and howling. And, you know, the, the meat offering and the drink offering are deprived. There's no commune with the Lord. But then it sets the stage for blow the trumpet in Zion. Zion, sound the alarm on his holy mountain. You know, it come in the last days that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. You will be like mighty men. The backdrop of that is abiding through the night in sackcloth, in the midst of a very challenging moment. And then and where it didn't look like there was any hope or any reason to be hopeful. But then God brings this amazing breakthrough. You, then you look at Acts 2. <laughs> Jesus rose into heaven. There are a lot of people that saw him rise into heaven who doubted. And the Bible says they did. I mean, I'm still perplexed by that. How can you see the risen Jesus rise into the heavens, past the clouds, and you be standing there like a ninny, doubting? How can that possibly be? But the Bible says it does. It did happen, and it, 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 and it was that way. And they're standing there perplexed, and an angel comes and says, Okay, why do you stand gazing? Go and do what he said to do. And then they go, and they're offering supplication. And out of that 500 or so that were originally there, you got 25%, less than 25% left when the Spirit fell upon the city. That's not a pretty good... That, that's 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 below the Mendoza line almost, you know, and we we're batting about that percentage, maybe a little less, but that's God's way. To say that the people of God were clicking their heels and just delighted at that point would would not be accurate. Now those that were offering supplication, I'm sure they had to wonder what in the world's going on, but we're going to be faithful. But it was not, you know, a church social. They were in a challenging point. And it, it's significant, you know. We don't know how many stalwarts left. We don't know how many doubting Thomas kind of words were being said. We, we don't know what they were facing. But the Joel prophecy that was quoted really does fit the same type of, um, of uh, ambiance that when Joel originally said it, was there. And then the outpouring came.
which I think is, is fascinating. And um, I think that the, the most interesting thing regarding um, Psalm 91 is people read this. I, I, I remember my mother had a, a plaque that had this on it. And it, it had probably, I think it had some kind of funky picture of, a, of an effeminate angel there with it, if I remember correctly, uh, from Psalm 91. I, I, I remember going and during the days when we had a significant senior adult group, um, I would go and visit with them and we would do things together, but I don't know how many of them had this passage in some way or another adorning their home or at their kitchen table. I remember one, one lady, I went over to her house for, for lunch and, um, and she was well in her 80s, so don't, <laughs> there wasn't any nonsense there. But she had these, you know, uh, place settings, these plastic things, you know, that you'd put down. And uh, on every one of them, this passage was written out. And this really is a, a, great, a great scripture to, to quote. I mean, he shall give his angels charge over thee, you know, that kind of thing. But the setting of it was, if it truly was written by Moses when the tabernacle was established, uh, there were some rough, there were some rough decades ahead. You know, you had some crazy stuff going on there. So, all of these passages that speak about God's angel watching over you and you know God providing and the shadow of the Almighty, it's not just well. You know, if I ever get in trouble, I'm going to quote this one. This was in the midst of the beginning of wilderness wanderings. And to know that right at the beginning of it, you're operating on behalf of the secret place of Elyon. You're, you're talking about the power points of the earth. And you're talking about gaining dominion in them, which is what God's intent was. And what you're to do is to abide. And that word didn't just mean, you know, I'm just going to wait here in his presence and feel dew drops of oil come on my head. And, you know, I'm just going to feel the goosebumps because I love abiding. No, this, was a, this is an all-night thing. You cannot separate this. In fact, and, you know, another one of the passages that you'll find is um, when the angels went to visit our buddy Lot. And they weren't there for a tea party. Uh, that some of the uh, more woke individuals were trying to um, find a way to spend the night with these angels. You read it. It's good reading. Um, and um, Lot says, hey, you know, why don't you turn in and spend the night? Uses this word with us through the day. That's, this is where this word was. That, was. that was a rough moment, wasn't it? You know, God was about to rain down not, some, not very many good things on these cities. And the angels had come to get him and his family out. And the people of that city were filthy and were so despicable in what they were saying and what they wanted to do. And uh, Lot's, I'm not trying to be too hard on him because the New Testament does call him righteous Lot. But his offer there, to me, is inconceivable. You know, take my daughters, please. You know, 
you take them who would do that who in this place would even contemplate that but I, I don't know whether lot was so spooked by what he what he was by the anointing that was emanating off these angels or whether that was just the way you did business in that city I'm not there I'm not asking him but the point was it was a difficult moment and here was a divine encounter sent by God from the plains of Mamre and the the invitation then was let's spend the night now we could complain about this filth the angels could begin to declare destruction over them but instead let's just dwell and so you're gonna find that this through the night business is is usually at a time where things are kinda iffy in the natural but in God never so I think that uh, and, and when I was you know I think it was about midweek that I thought as I was praying in here in fact I was laying over here and I I just felt a very strong idea I didn't hear a voice or anything God said you need to go over there and you need to do a Marco Polo thing about sackcloth he told me what verse to talk about and then I thought while I was doing it well, every day we need to do this so I wrote out I prayed and I looked at different um, the many examples and I thought which one of these does God want us to to focus on each day and when it came to Sunday I thought well okay you know I won't do one of these on Sunday because I'll be up here with the high and holy Mike uh, but this was the passage Joel passage was the one that that God said this is for Sunday and and you know I just talked to the Lord this I'm trying to I'm trying to process it out you know if it's about something to teach I want to make sure I'm hearing clearly what he wants me to do with it you know I know that there's understanding coming after he first says this is what I want you to speak about but I didn't want to go and do something that really wasn't what he was asking so I said does this really mean that you want me to ask the people on I, originally I thought I was supposed to do one last night and ask you to do this through the night this morning and then I felt immediately no because there won't be any explaining and people will just do it and they won't understand what they're doing you want to be knowledgeable if you're going to do some kind of prophetic act so I knew that this was for today so I'm asking that you contemplate before you go to bed tonight committing yourself to the Lord which you many many of you probably already do and wear something that's indicative of sackcloth something that's comfortable if you want if you want to wear something that's just itchy and you do that maybe it'll keep you awake maybe you have don't do that mark I don't know what kind of dreams you'll have but you know wear something but but do it as under the Lord and then expect him to use you now I'm going to tell you though if tomorrow about this time you get the the Eeyore anointing and you say well I didn't have any dreams God mustn't love me don't go down that trail you know I've had it up to here with that kind of nonsense your point is to obey what God does through it is up to him it doesn't you don't have to think well I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna have a kaleidoscope of dreams and visions and sparks will fly from my eyes when I open them and if that doesn't happen you think God doesn't love me 
Why doesn't he give me the insights that he gives other people? Like I said, I'm done with that. Do it as unto the Lord. And I believe that God is going to, whether you know about it or not, is going to ignite something in you. And he's going to bring a point of empowerment to you. And I think he's going to use it for the onset of this atonement gathering. And um, I, think that, I think that it's something that is going to be significant to cap off this week of many different facets of the sackcloth. And again, I appreciate your willingness to participate in this before the Lord. But um, do that tonight and let, let God use you in whatever way he wants. You know, there's sometimes that I wake up and I'm, I'm reminiscent of dreams or different encounters or times that God woke me up and I prayed and I sensed something. But then there are times where I just wake up and I think, well, I have no idea what went on. And then later that day, or, or God will remind me of something that happened. I guess I'm just trying to set the stage because I know some people get their hopes up and then it doesn't happen and then you spend the remainder of the day doing what Lund doesn't want you to do. Um, but I would invite you to do this tonight. And I've never, I've never felt the Lord ask us to do this before. But you can see that God, just in these few passages that we, we explored, God does incredible things in that kind of moment. And so we're believing God is going to, first of all, use you tonight. We believe that God is going to culminate this week by this prophetic act. We believe that God is going to activate things in you that he has reserved for this time frame. And we believe that God is also going to utilize this in some way for the gathering of the saints and for what uh, we need as an impetus for going forward. So that's where we are. And I pray that God will use you in, in this way. And so as, as a point of summing this up for the week, we're going to pray in just a moment. And then we're going to offer ourselves for a commissioning of the Lord for this task. And, and then it's up to you to do it before the Lord. And I do want to speak a word of encouragement to so many of you because, you know, I think it was Friday we talked about the fasting that yields healing and restoration. I felt so strongly about that. The anointing in this place, the smile of the Lord was so evident during, during that time. And I, I believe that God is doing something in you. I know that many of you have suffered physically. And um, it's, been, it's been perplexing as to just in the natural having to endure that, not really knowing what God is accomplishing through it. Um, but I do believe that the time of breakthrough is here for you. And uh, I want to encourage you to continue to believe God and his, his provision and his breakthrough is yours. 
And, and finally, before we pray, one thing that I've noticed about situations like this that have happened in me is that a lot of times when I would be faced with something, particularly physically, I would really be baffled as to what God was actually doing. And I had a lot of suggestions for the Lord as to how he could have really done things in me. Make it quick, boom, boom, you know. Uh, but usually, and I can give this as a testimony, God has not only brought me through things, but he has made me stronger and healthier than I would have been had he done it my way. Now, I can't explain that. I, I can't explain that. You know, I'm coming out of something that has really been challenging for me. I, I haven't stopped my work. I haven't, I haven't said, okay, I'm not going to do anything now for the next few weeks. But this wacky thing that was happening with my back, you know, I, don't, I, don't I didn't understand that. It just really, I never complained before the Lord, but it just kind of irritated me inside. Why is this happening the way it is? Well, I can tell you now when I'm through this thing, and I'm, I'm still trying to be careful. You know, I'm not, I'm getting stronger every day. It, it, we used to have that hymn written by Chicago in our hymnal. Um, that, I, I'm feeling stronger every day, and I can say that the end result of this is I'm in better shape than I was when I used to be in sports in high school. I mean, I'm stronger the, 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 the exercise routine that I've been on has really done a job on me. And none of that would have happened had God just said, Thus saith me, I'd have still been the flabby mess that I was then. So I don't know why God does what he does. I really don't. But I can say that the circumstances you face... Tell me if you've heard this before. We'll either make you bitter or better. And you will overcome. And if you continue to trust the Lord, you will emerge stronger and more full of provision than you have ever known. Now, I have seen numbers of times, I have to say this as a caveat, where God immediately touches, when God immediately sets free. And I thank God for that. I can give you... 10 instances over the years where that has happened in me and in my family, and I'm ever so grateful for that. But there are so many ways that God uses us and develops us. He uses challenges to strengthen and make us better. How in the world are you going to get an overcomer's crown if you don't overcome anything? How? So we are in this to be mighty warriors for the times that are ahead. And, you know, I was watching a documentary about, uh, I, I'm crazy, I know, about how they used to acknowledge how knights were brought forward and they were trying to choose um, who was going to be guardians of the king. And they... they said, we're not going to put anybody in as a guardian of the king unless they've been in warfare, unless they actually know how to fight. And there were a lot of people that were knights because 
they had been conferred or they inherited it or they had the shiniest armor. But um, God is God has a plan for you. You know, we as saints are are positioned to be his frontline warriors for the times of the end. You know that. You read about it in the scripture. And so there are a lot of regimens that God is bringing us through that will not only deliver us, but will train us and teach us and strengthen us. It's like what Mark was saying this morning. God, through the challenges that he and Trish have, have overcome through over these past number of weeks, um, he has been able to understand things through that process in the word that he never would have seen had he not gone through it, even though he may have heard some facet of a little part of it in teaching and and uh, but but when you when when God brings you through something you you are a victor and um, that's really what God has for us he's not he's not just his big daddy taking us out of trouble he's he's El Shaddai walking with us training us strengthening us guiding us not letting the enemy go too far, but giving us the tools and the victory to overcome. And so I speak that word of overcoming for you. You've been in the darkness. You've been in challenges. Many for a lot longer than I would want you to. And I know certainly a lot longer than you wanted to. But this is not the end. It's the beginning. And God is bringing you through as a testimony and is a victorious champion in his kingdom. So I want to just encourage you in that way. Um, as your pastor, I, I can just tell you that I hate what I know some of you have had to go through. I just detest it uh, because I don't want you to be in pain. I don't want you to be um, spending your energies and your time and in many ways money for things that, um, have been painful for you. I can only imagine what God feels because I'm just the under-shepherd. So the same God that has the agenda for you to be strong and to emerge victorious is also feeling this point of care for you. You are not alone. God is with you. But all that being said, as much as he loves you, he also loves this world. He loves his plan for this world. He loves what he has ordained for men and women and for the ultimate uh, measure of what this earth is supposed to be. And that, in conjunction with his will, are what we're partnering with God for as saints. And so, this night of sackcloth. May God use you. May God encourage you. May your spirit be active as you're waiting for him. And may this time tonight be, uh, be moments where your spirit becomes active in ways that in God's timetable it's never been active before. And may we as a saints network enter into this week this very important week as champions through the power of the lord as mighty men and women
Heavenly Father, thank you for this directive. We pray, Father, that you would use your people. We pray, Lord, that you would, you would strengthen your people, that you would encourage your people. And I ask for the oil of, of uh, measures of function and activation to be upon every one of us. And may you culminate this week of sackcloth in, in ways that are, um, that are beyond anything that we could even ask or think. Use us, Father. And we thank you for it. And out of the mouth of babes, this is being proclaimed. Um, and, and I thank you for that. <laughs> Amen. In Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> oh, boy. We trained that fellow well. Amen. All right. God bless you all. And thanks for being willing to do these unusual scriptural things. But... Um, God is with you. God bless you all. Goodbye.